listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. Thank you for listening. The Infinite Smile Sangha is made possible by the generosity of friends, members, and people who have been touched by this teaching. Please visit our donations page at infinitesmile.org to help us continue our efforts in spreading the Dharma. There's a little test we can offer ourselves to see how far we've come in this work. And before you raise your hands and say, hey, wait a minute, I thought it wasn't about that at all. Um, It is about not just getting our toes wet, but ultimately finding the courage to jump in. And so one of the things that we can do to kind of look at this this situation to see how wet we are, how our practice is or is not maturing, is to uncover how much resistance there is. How much resistance, or to put it in a real positive way, how much willingness is there in our day? Are we willing for anything to happen? Are we willing for outcomes not to turn out as we expected? Are we willing to die? Are we willing to spill tea all over ourselves as we try to give a Dharma talk? That was good. (laughs) Yes, I'm totally willing. (laughs) We have little reminders all the time that we are not willing. And simultaneously, we have reminders all the time that we are willing for anything to unfold. We're willing to accept at a radical level, at a root level, what's happening. We're not running. We're not avoiding anything. And when we can do this, when we can recognize ever-increasing levels of willingness, miraculously, what begins to occupy this ever-expanding spaciousness is the felt sense of love. Love is a feeling. Unlike wisdom, which is not really a feeling. Wisdom is a, is a presence of mind. It's a relationship that the big self has with the small self. Compassion is when that wisdom informs our activity. It informs our body. And the felt sense 
of wisdom and compassion as they kind of start just opening through us, with us, as us, that felt sense, oftentimes shows up as just this amazing joy. And we can often call that love. <coughs> I like joy better because it doesn't have the baggage that love has. Usually love uh, has an object associated with it. But if that works for you, by all means. So the more we resist, the less of an opportunity there is for love. The less willing we are to have this moment unfold in whatever way it's going to unfold, the more resistance we have to some outcomes and the more willing we are to have other outcomes. That division right there is what keeps all of this stuff at bay. It's what keeps our toes in the water instead of, you know, the great swan dive. I sometimes have that image of the, the guys in Acapulco, you know, when they just time it just perfectly with the waves that come in and then they just do these beautiful swan dives. And I always found that so much more uh, powerful to me, even, you know, as a young person when Jim McKay and the rest of the guys from uh, ABC Wide World of Sports would go to, I mean, what a junket that was. Yeah, we're going to go down Acapulco and we're going to look at uh, cliff diving. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the deal. And they'd watch these guys do these, like, you know, half gainers and, and, and you know, these triple sow cows or whatever you do when you're in the air. <laughs> These beautiful dives, but the ones that were always most moving to me were the simplest ones. The ones where these these men and you knew they were locals. They you know they were raised in this area and they would leap out and just arch their backs and just gracefully float down in this just positively elegant way. And bam, they'd hit the water, and it was just I just thought that was just such a cool thing. That's what we're doing when we accept what is. And we know in that, in that space that the universe will provide for us exactly what we need. Exactly what we need. Maybe not what we want, but what we need will show up every time. What we need for what, Mike? What we need for awakening. What we need for uncovering truth. The truth beyond name and form. The truth of who we are. That is always present. Always there. It's never not there. And from that space, we begin to recognize there's no need to resist anything. We can lean in one direction or another. We can do what we can to influence outcomes from a place of generosity, of openness, of love, of compassion, of wisdom, all of that meeting our particular moment. But because we're filled with that space, if that outcome doesn't show up, if something else happens, we're okay with that too. 
It's not resistance born into or sown into that ground. So we can try this little test at any point in time during our day. We tap into this just awareness of our, our felt sense, our experience. How are we doing right now? Is there resistance? Is there resistance to this moment? The minute we do that, we employ the witness. This witnessing awareness is what recognizes that. It's what is aware of where we are. And the more that witness gets employed, the more it becomes our center of psychological and spiritual gravity. And that witness is identical in each being. Your witness does not look different from mine. It's when we plug into something bigger. It's when big self-awareness then has the opportunity to inform our small self-circumstance, whatever that might be. We get to practice that whenever we sit. When you're sitting, if there is resistance in your sitting, awesome. What a perfect situation. If there is bliss in your sitting, what, oh, awesome. That's perfect. To prefer one over the other, that's perfect because then you can see your resistance to the other. You see, see where we're going here with this? This is an infinite practice. What's going on right now? What's going on right now? Is there any resistance? Am I willing? You're definitely able, but are you willing? Am I willing? Let that be your little mantra tonight. If you find your mind going off, spinning off somewhere, am I willing? Just wonder that. Give that question your full attention. So this path is really about integration. We are uh, doing our best to essentially meet up with grace and then bring that meeting and what it shows us we integrate that into our experience so we can move through the world uh, informed just a little bit differently and the beauty of that grace is that many of us in this room I'm sure have uh, experienced it and and just kind of this mystery of wow uh, I once heard it described that that uh, I think it was Kabir said that uh, that grace lasted 15 seconds for me, and I spent the rest of my life dedicated to it. And I think this is a really interesting way of perhaps looking at this process of awakening, this process of of enlightenment. So often we've even discussed here in this room 
you know, does it ever get easier? I mean, do you ever really, like, you know, fully get there? Does it ever, well, no, we never really fully get there as much as it begins to come through us in ways that um, don't require for us to get out of its way. That this this grace, this mystery, this magic that kind of uh, reveals itself begins to reveal itself through us once we get out of its way. And we get out of its way whenever we can become and embody a stillness. And I talk about that as much as anything because it seems to me that that uh, among a couple of other things, but the stillness is the one thing, it's the one area where people just kind of, they pass over it. And it's, it's so, it's so, so, so important. Being still allows for this big self to reveal itself through this small self apparatus and when it's revealed when we know it it's no longer an intellectual exercise but it's actually ex an experiential knowing with a capital K the way I sometimes say it it's an experiential uh, uh, event it's no longer abstract and our concept of it no longer obstructs our work. So making ourselves available to this divine accident is really, really important. In addition to stillness, another thing that I would, I would point out is that you have to I don't know, I mean, just the way this seems to work is when you want the awakening, when you want freedom, when there's an intention to meet up with freedom, and it means more to the practitioner than anything else, our availability is huge. When freedom is more important than our physical wants. When freedom is more important than power to us. It's more important than power. When freedom is more important than knowing. When the freedom becomes more important than those three areas, okay, when that freedom becomes more important, the intention to be free becomes more important than everything else, we're available. Now this does not mean that we push our relationships to our beloved off the cliff. It doesn't mean that we ignore everything else, 
But what this intention sets up, this intention to awaken to truth, this intention to wake up, when that becomes absolutely, resolutely clear, we have choices that avail themselves to us that otherwise wouldn't be there. We can then actively engage in this process of unfolding uh, and not be in our own way or in the ways of others. So often we spend all this time thinking that we're still because we sit we sit in a you know this funny posture, uh, but we actually are divided within. Our intention is spread out. We want awakening on our own terms. Ego wants to co-opt this process. Ego wants to know. Ego wants to awaken. Ego actually gets us on this path. It starts us off. Hey, there's something there. And it can be for all sorts of different reasons. One of the main reasons I, I found uh, uh, that it was cool was because of, um, you know, all the hot babes that were at the Zendo. That was why I uh, initially went, and I'm only kidding slightly. Uh, when I first started on the path, it was very much a, a social a social thing, and I was uh, very single and thought, well, this way at least, whatever woman I run into, she's going to be spiritual, and that's really, really important. If she does yoga, so much the better. You know, I mean, all of these really... I mean, I look at them now, and they're quite hilarious. But what attracted me initially to this, this process, and so many others of my, my Dharma brothers and sisters, you know, we've had kind of these casual conversations, was greed. I wanted something. I wanted something other than what was presenting itself. I wanted awakening on my own terms. I wanted it to be additive, right? I wanted, I wanted to add, you know, another stripe on the uh, war mask. You know, that'll look cool. That'll be cool. What a surprise when you go along the path even further and you realize it isn't about getting. It's about leaving. It's about leaving stuff behind that you no longer need. The altitude, as we climb up the mountain of spirit, the altitude gets to be such that we can no longer carry stuff that isn't absolutely essential. When we get to the top and there's nothing left, absolutely nothing left, there's a total willingness, as I mentioned earlier, there's a total willingness to be exposed, to be vulnerable. I heard uh, Dan Millman, uh, who wrote The um, uh, Peaceful Warrior, uh, talked, he talked about the, the spiritual warrior is the person who is totally unafraid of vulnerability. I thought that was really cool beautiful way of saying, you know, this, this willingness to just be without skin, 
And in that capacity, he, he went on to make this point. I wish I could remember where I heard it. I, I apologize for this. But he, he went on to make this point that in that space of total vulnerability, that is the context of our ability to reflect love. The more fearless we are in our vulnerability, the less we need awakening to be managed, processed, compartmentalized, categorized, put into our own terms, the more open we are, the more we can love, the more we can reflect love. And that reflection is so key because that reflection actually shows us where we cling. That reflection, I mean, if you think about this, um, the teeth cannot chew themselves. The eyes cannot see themselves. The, you and I cannot see our own faces without the help of a mirror. And that's what a Sangha is. That's what the rest of the world's beings are. They are that mirror to us. And we are able to recognize through the eyes of others our own truth. And that truth, once again, is free from a need for power, free from a need for uh, safety, free from a need for, you know, choice. It's just free. It's absolutely free. It's absolutely open. It's without anything extra. We don't have to get anything. Miraculously, when we allow this not having to get anything, this awareness, this Christ consciousness, this, this uh, uh, open heart, this Buddha within, when we allow it to be as it is, we can come down the mountain, come back into the world, and not be hindered like we were before. We're no longer amused in the same way we were about things. We're no longer possessed with this need to add something extra to a situation. We're no longer possessed to comment. We're okay with silence. And we're okay with commentary, as long as it comes from a place that's helpful. We no longer feel compelled to cling to outcomes. We're mystified and pleasantly surprised by the gift of whatever arises in whatever moment. We give our full attention to what it is that we're doing. We let the big self through this small self apparatus. And in that conscious participation, all future events tend to work with a bit more clarity. They're a bit more smooth. They're a bit more um, uh, they resonate with spaciousness. Because the moment that we participated in 
that allowed for that outcome to happen on its own was cared for. We care for this moment above all else and everything falls into place. We're no longer possessed by our past. We're no longer possessed by what might happen in the future. The ideas of uh, uh, you know, sensual fulfillment or uh, you know, like I, like I mentioned, power. Those things are, are just no longer, they're no longer the, they're no longer the big cause. They're no longer the big reason. They just are. Most of us can be willing to see that. <laughs> Most of us can, can kind of like have our little mental check. That I can buy into. That one I'll, I like that part. And I think perhaps a really marvelous exercise is to allow all parts. Allow it all. It doesn't mean you have to like it. Allow yourself not to like it. Be willing not to like it. But know that that willingness is the through line to direct realization. As I say that, I can't help it. I'm just, I'm absolutely, uh, I'm reminded of eating Brussels sprouts at um, my friend, his name was Simon. Simon moved from England in my kindergarten class back when I was in Bloomfield Hills, Michigan. And uh, um, his mother had the most beautiful, most mellifluous way of speaking. Uh, both of his parents were very highly educated and so forth. And just, I mean, I remember walking into their living room and it was just books everywhere. I just, wow, this is so cool. And I was going to eat uh, dinner over at Simon's and uh, it was going to be Brussels sprouts. And I, I had had one rather horrific experience with Brussels sprouts um, before where I'd gotten sick. And um, I don't think it had anything to do with the Brussels sprouts probably, but the, the fact that I knew they were going to hit that table and I was going to have to suck it up, just like McAllister's were supposed to do, you know, uh, was really quite frightening. And I remember they, they, they came out on, onto the table along with all this other really nice, I remember it was very, this is weird, it was just a very beautiful looking plate. <laughs> and uh, the Brussels sprouts were on there. I think there was some, I want to say applesauce or something. I mean, I remember this vividly. And I remember kind of gulping. And she said in her, in, in her way, she said, Oh, Michael, try it. You might just find you'll enjoy it. <laughs> and and I, immediately I'm thinking to myself, there's no freaking way I'm going to enjoy this. I'm going to vomit all over this table. That's what's going to happen. I know it, lady. Um, uh, anyway, I, uh, I tried it. And um, I have, to this day, only run into a couple other uh, Brussels sprouts dishes that were anywhere close to hers. It was fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. And this is what the teacher hopefully can do for me and for you, is they encourage. You just might uncover something here. 
as scary as this might be, and I know I tend to go into that space, uh, as scary as this might seem, try it. You just might like it. <laughs> stories are so huge around our, the most significant people in our world. You know, the ones where the, I, I use that term resonance all the time, but there's a different valence with our children than with the mailman. You know, or the really bitchy, bitchy secretary or that jerk of a boss or that, you know, Those aren't so intense. We can let those go. But with the kids, it becomes invested with all sorts of clinging. I'm noticing that now as a father. It's really incredible. It's a, she, I mean, Kate has become my greatest teacher. Kate and Allie, my wife too, um, just fantastic in their ability to effortlessly show me my resistance. And my only advice to you is allow, be willing to let them be your teacher fully. So that, in other words, there becomes this absolute and total recognition. I, I was thinking just, just the other morning, I don't know if any of the parents in this room have had this thought, I'm guessing so. I was, Cade was, um, she was, we were, I was playing some music, and, and she was dancing, and she was so she did this this new move, is where she'll cock this arm like this, kind of at a right angle, and then this arm will swing like this, <laughs> just swing, when she's dancing, and her, you know, her knees are bending, and it's just the cutest damn thing I've ever seen, and the conjoined twin of the experience of parenting and watching this child absolutely melt melt us. You know, whenever a kid just melts us, the conjoined twin of that is, I wonder when she'll go. I wonder when I'll go. Will I beat her or will she beat me? Who knows? We just don't know. And in that not knowing and being willing not to know, being willing to, the future's going to bring what it's going to bring. There is no way I was going to let that thought pattern that spins us around, takes us into an eddy, you know, so to speak, that I was going to let that kill the moment of her dancing. And so it was just kind of this, I was amazed at how, how, how graceful and poignant it was, you know. That the same goes for my wife. I wonder who's going to go first. And you know, when we go into that space, there's this immediate, almost, um, uh, gratitude that can arise. Man, how lucky am I? How lucky am I? You know? And that can shift the story a little bit. Right? 
So, so the you know the 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 trick here goes back to the the um, the my mentioning at the beginning of the talk is the willingness, the willingness to see your clinging or the willingness to see your worry, the willingness to see how much they can just light you up, you know, and in that willingness, they then help point you right in the direction of infinity. You know, they point you right into the house of God. And it's not that your relationship with them, it's not that you will love them any less. You may love them more. You may be willing to, to love them even to the point where the pain is excruciating. You love them so much. Not in a possessive way, but in a way that actually supports their, their growth. That's a very, very generous love as opposed to a possessive love, which isn't love at all, actually. It's control that masks as love and has feelings associated with, I mean, serotonin and dopamine levels that mirror, or ma excuse me, I should say, kind of go along with a, our, fam our familiarity with what love feels like. So, I mean, as much as that may sound confusing and so forth, let it happen be with it as it happens as consciously as you can and in that moment it can't hold you if you can experience that tension fully if you can experience that worry fully and you can watch the worry arise it's no longer holding you the watcher of that worry is never worried the watcher of that worry the truth beyond name and form that watcher <laughs> is free from all that and allows for a much more expansive approach towards the parenting, towards the loving, towards the, you know, the partnership, whatever it might be, towards the job, you know. So see where that takes you and then report back, okay? Yeah. Something is intending this hard. It's not the ego grasping. What's right? Who is, who is it that intent is intending? That's that's a. Do, well, which question do you want me to answer first? All of it. All of it. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll let you answer who it is that is intending on your own, and then report back. Uh, but the but the difference between intention and grasping is. Grasping can quite literally be an annihilation of opportunity. Okay? And intention is a lean. Okay? So if it's a ferocious intention, right there we've got some, you know, or if the, if the energetic pattern associated with the intention is one of these, you know, it growls a little bit. <laughs> what you can notice is it, it will eventually take care of itself, but it's, it's fueled by egoic attachment, initially at least. 
it's it's absolutely it's like mm, I'm gonna get this it becomes a goal and I'm gonna set this goal my goal awakening and I'm gonna get there by doing the following things and then I am going to I, I I I and the I sense is trying to create the space for awakening all of this teaching every single bit of this teaching is about flicking that aside that the eye will get to a point where it runs into a dead end. It actually, I love the metaphor of it's, it actually has built a plank and it is about three quarters of the way down the plank off the ship and it says, oh shit. And then it looks back and what does it see? You know, all the egoic demons, you know, arr, arr, you know, you know, kind of uh, pushing it on. One with an eye patch, the other one with a parrot, the, you know, the whole thing, that whole boat. They're just saying, you know, no, you're going you're gonna to walk the plank. And the ego is like, and then it's, that's a really difficult situation because the ego at that point is, it's raw enough. The self-system knows enough, is exposed enough to the, the, you know, the throb of the universe. The awakening experience is close enough at hand. Awareness is such that it either goes forward and jumps or it goes right back onto the ship and the pain there usually is enough to get it right back onto the plank again. So, so intention essentially uh, involves the leap, okay? Um, I would say grasping. Grasping can be used to serve that initial impulse, but grasping is about, it's quite literally the way it sounds. It's, it's clinging. Intention is, is an open lean. Does that make any sense? It's starting. Starting to? It's starting to? to All right, report back to me, yes. That would be the theme. <laughs> the theme for tonight. I think um, also though, Pete, please don't ignore the question of who is it that's intending. Because if you get to that, then we have a whole other conversation to have. But for everyone in this room, who is it that is doing the wanting? Who is it that is worrying? Who is it that is clinging? Who is it that is avoiding? Who is it? Or what is it? Who still implies there's a someone? What doesn't? What is it? What is it that is craving? Yeah. Yeah. About what you just said, who is it? Are you just of the options, the small self or the big self? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and more. Who is it, really? Who is it that is doing this sitting tonight? The, the immediate answer that you want to give me is what? Me. Me, of course. Me. And it is my butt that is on this chair, right? Okay. So it's the me and the mine. Okay, and the I, 
so that I am me. Right? Except the me is extra. What does the me refer to? I. Okay, so we've got I am. If we can get to the source of the I, we run into something truly beautiful, being. And this work is about, like I said, letting go of the extra stuff. What is at the core of I? If you follow the sense, the I sense, to its source, what do you uncover? I am. There's this amness that inhabits, permeates, and expands through this, this present moment. And when that beingness begins to kind of uh, show itself, we become available to it, we're willing to actually experience it, we're willing then also to kind of let go of this I, let go of this me, let go of this mine, this you, this yours, this possession, and what possesses. And what's left is this, this infinite openness of being. Which takes us right back to the, the uh, I love the quote, um, I had a friend whose bat mitzvah was on the uh, Old Testament quote, what did, God, what are you? Moses asked, what are you? I am that I am. I don't remember what she said about the quote, but I remember tripping out on that quote at 13 years old. I was like, man, that's thick. You know, I am that I am. And now we're getting to the core of Pete's question. Who is it that is sitting? And I'm not trying to be flip. I'm, you know, but it's just that that's really at the core of what, what we're doing. It's uncovering this idea of self. Because it's just an idea. I mean, we function in the world and so forth. And some of us function from a place of intense clinging to the I and to the me and to the mine. Okay? And then when we start to, we are willing to open up just a little bit past that, what happens is the I becomes much less, much less weighty. So are you saying when we do something, if it's done um, selflessly, without a, a, a grasping or getting... Uh, an agenda or something, an yeah, agenda. sure. So just doing it for the sake of doing it. Then we become the universe meeting itself through our activity as opposed to a separate sense of I that is doing it. Right. In the same way, when we cling to an intention and there's a growl behind it, right, we get to a point where still if we follow it with our full being, it opens us. That way, every single state that we might happen to be in still can serve, it can serve us on this path beautifully. No matter how educated, no matter how poor, no matter how uh, intelligent or 
stupid we might think we are, no matter how emotionally available or stunted we may feel we are, whatever the case, every bit of it can serve to actually get us into a place where there's less I, less me, there's just amnes. And that happens automatically in stillness. Automatically. Between the space between our thoughts, the space between our feelings, you know. It's that open space, it's just amming. We are amming. <laughs> I am in getting tired, so love you guys. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.